The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress.
We live in a day, a day of darkness, a day of great trouble. We live in a day of the judgments of God upon sin. The Lord said there would be wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilence. All of these were part of the the birth pangs. We are living at the end of time. Don't believe what you hear in the mainstream media, uh, media, media. Don't believe what you hear anywhere except the straight word of God. America is being convinced now that the Ukraine is good, that Mr. Putin is bad, that Russia is bad. They're both bad. The Ukraine is an utterly corrupt dictatorship. It is the hotbed of American corruption for Joe Biden. He doesn't want that exposed. When I look at what's happening in our nation, the COVID craziness, the mask craziness, I see people driving in their cars by themselves wearing a mask, a diaper over their face. Why? It's insanity. It's foolishness. And the church has just rolled over and said, okay, okay. We're living in a time of such corruption and sin and wickedness. I'm going to share a story with you today. It's the story of a monk's revival. This man was the forerunner of the Protestant Reformation. Would that today pastors would follow his lead and that you would follow his lead. It happened in Florence, Italy. The year was 1496. God was going to use an Italian Roman Catholic monk by the name of Savernolia. Martin Luther was just a small boy when Savernolia was functioning in revival power. Savernolia was absolutely shocked by the corruption, the immorality of the world about him in Florence. He was absolutely devastated by the corruption that existed in the Roman Catholic Church. We have today that same corruption in the Protestant Church. Oh, it's still in the Roman Catholic Church, but we also now have it in the Protestant Church. 
as a youth. He would walk beside the river, singing to God, praise and worship. And then he would begin weeping for the sins and the injustices and the poverty of the people around him. He wept and grieved over the lewdness, the luxury, and the cruelty of many of the church leaders of that day. He would lie for hours, prostrate on the altar steps in the church, weeping and praying about the sins of the age and the sins of the church. But what can one unknown monk do in an age of absolute immorality, both in society and in the only church that existed at that time? He was a devout Roman Catholic. Savinolia's prayers and spirit-filled life helped prepare the way for the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther called him a Protestant martyr. His life, a glorious testimony that one prayer warrior, by the grace of God, can be used to turn the tide and prepare the way for a mighty revival. Just before coming on the air, I received a phone call from a man that was a Hindu and has become a Christian and now for some years has been following the Lord Jesus Christ. But he wants more than anything else to be married. And so he has now a Muslim girlfriend. They love each other. Now I've shared with him the word of God that says, do not be unequally yoked. And I've told him that he's going to have to get serious about God at a level he's never imagined before and devote himself to prayer and scripture. Now, through the years of his growing in Jesus, and he has grown a great deal, he still will not bury himself in the scriptures. Instead, he buries himself in religious YouTubes. And he prays. He'll spend 30, 40 minutes a day in some kind of devotion, watching the YouTube videos of different preachers or, or praying prayers that others have prayed. And I have told him, God will not hear those prayers. They're just rote prayers. There's nothing magic about them. God is a person. He wants to hear from you. And I've said to him, I said to him again this morning, you are going to have to get to God. You want your girlfriend to come to Jesus. Well, there's only one way. You live a godly life. You bear strong and loving testimony. And you go to God and you get serious with him. And it's going to require many hours a day of intense searching after God and prayer. And the Lord will either convert her 
or show you your own sin and cause you to flee. He's a a wonderful social man, but he likes to be slippery with Jesus. He wants his own way. He wants to be married above all else and have children. He's single, never been married, and 40 years old. I understand. I understand the world, the flesh, and the devil are so powerful today in America that we are deceived by our own desires. And we're led into rebellion and sin and compromise by by our own hearts. Well, Savinolia, coming from a wealthy family, at age 22, he wrote a paper entitled Contempt of the World, to which he likened the sins of the current age to those of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he ran away without telling anyone in his family, and he entered a monastery to begin a life of fasting and prayer. Why? There was a desperate cry in his heart to see God and for God to send revival to Florence. Do you understand? Our pathetic little catering to God will not accomplish for us what we desire. If you really want God, you're going to have to give up those entertainments of the world and you're going to have to give up your own ways and you're going to have to begin fasting and praying. And as I said to this man this morning, if you will go to the prayer closet and spend the time and stand on a promise of God, Mark 11, 23 and 24, or many other wonderful promises in the scripture, then you will stand on that promise until God comes and the promise stands on your head. Because God wants to deal with you before he answers your prayer. And I have found through very painful experience that God will come in his promise and stand on you and crush you until you wonder how you can live with weeping, with deep conviction of heart. See, we only get convicted about what we think about, what we see, what we understand. Some of you listening to this broadcast have no conviction about God or no conviction about revival. Do you know why? You're caught in the deception of the world. And that has to be broken, and it can only be broken 
as you hear a straight word of God, as the arrows of the Holy Spirit begin to pierce you, you begin to get desperate for God. And as you begin to pray and cry out, God will begin to uncover you, will begin to be the recipient of deep feelings of conviction and sorrow for your sin. For years, Savernola, as a monk, simply studied the scriptures, waited upon God, and prayed. Suddenly, without any warning, one day God gave him a vision. The heavens opened and a voice commanded him to announce the future calamities of the church to the people. He was filled with a new, powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit, and Savernolia went out of the monastery and began to preach to the people. It's recorded that when the Spirit of God would fall upon him, the voice of Savernolia would thunder as he denounced the sins of the people. Revival power gripped the whole area. Savernolia's audience, men and women, poets, philosophers, craftsmen, laborers, would begin to weep, sob. People would walk the streets so gripped by conviction from the Holy Spirit that they were half-dazed and speechless. On several occasions, while he was seated ready to go into the pulpit. The church, the people, would see Savernolia's face seemingly illuminated with a heavenly glow, and he would sit in the pulpit lost in prayer, as if in a trance for up to five hours at a time. Now understand, in that day you would go into a church, a cathedral, but there were no benches to sit on. Everyone stood up. And the pulpit was raised up above the people where the voice of the preacher could ring out over the congregation. The crowds that would come would see Savernolia seated and would sometimes wait upon him five or six hours, because they had to hear the word from the voice of God. They were filled with parties, celebrations, feasts, rituals. They loved to wear fancy masks for their parties. They loved to drink. They loved to gamble. They loved to smoke their cigars. They loved to cheat and make money any way they could make it. They were a refined crowd. They liked nice things. The women wore great amounts of jewelry and makeup. They dressed in very extreme and very fancy dresses with 
breasts almost totally exposed. I hope you're hearing me. The same thing is going today. I don't understand why in America, in the world, the Western world particularly, it seems that women just want to get naked. They want to bear their their breasts. They want to bear their legs, their back. It's another shame to Jesus. And they want to wear all of their heavy makeup and they want their jewelry. Saranolia stood against this. For eight years, Savernola preached in a large cathedral in Florence, Italy. People would come in the middle of the night and they would wait and sleep on the hard, cold stones, waiting for the cathedral doors to open so that they could hear his message. Savernolia prophesied he would be with them for only eight years, and then he would die. The Spirit of Jesus was upon Savernolia. He prophesied that the city rulers, the Pope, and the king, would all die within a year. And they did. For months, he predicted that God would punish Florence with an invasion from across the Alps. King Charles VIII of France and his army crossed the Alps and prepared to attack. Savernolia went out alone to meet the army. He faced the French army single-handed, and two times he persuaded King Charles to turn back and not attack Florence. The wicked city government was overthrown, and Savernolia taught the people to set up a democratic form of government. The revival brought tremendous moral change. People stopped reading vile and worldly books. Merchants made restitution to the people for the excessive profits they were making. Criminals, street urchins, stopped singing sinful songs and began to sing hymns and praise Jesus in the streets. Carnivals were closed down and forsaken. Huge bonfires were made of worldly books and obscene pictures of masks and wigs. Children marched from house to house in the procession, singing hymns and calling everyone to repent and empty their houses of every vanity. On one occasion, there was a great pyramid erected in the public square in Florence. It towered to seven stages, 60 feet high and 240 feet in circumference. And while the bells tolled and the people sang hymns, they lit the fire and burned it. <laughs> 
reminiscent of Paul's revival bonfire in Ephesus those many centuries before in Acts 19, verses 18 through 20. He taught the women that they should no longer wear the heavy makeup, that they should dress appropriately as Christian women, to put off all of their luxurious jewelry, everything that would call attention to themselves and say they were somebody. The men were taught to dress modestly as well plainly that Jesus was first and foremost and that everything was to be surrendered to him, to the Lord Jesus. Now the Pope was utterly corrupt. The cardinals and the priests were outraged at this man condemning them in the public for their wickedness. So in time, the political and religious enemies incited a rough mob against Savernolia. They battered down the doors of the sanctuary of the convent where he was staying, and they captured him. Savernolia was severely tortured by his enemies. They tried to get him to confess to being a heretic. His hands were bound behind him. He was hoisted to a great height and then dropped almost to the ground. And when the ropes snapped him up again, they they pulled his shoulders out of joint, tearing his muscles. Burning coals were put to his feet to try to get him to recant. He refused. This was repeated several times. Sent back to his cell, Savonolia would kneel and ask God to forgive the people. Finally, Savonolia and two companion monks were brought out to be executed before a mob of thousands of onlookers. An awesome silence settled down over the crowd. Savonolia's last words were these. Should I not die willingly for him who has suffered so much for me? He then communed so deeply with God that he seemed unaware of what was happening around him. He and his two friends were hanged in the public square, and then their bodies were publicly burned. I want you to see one man who totally changed Florence, Italy. One lone man totally surrendered to God, burning with passion for revival in the church and the nation and for the salvation of the people, had for several years turned the tide against evil in the church and in the government and in the lives of the people. If God could use one Savernolia to bring such a mighty revival... At such an impossible time, what what could he do in answer to a movement of truly prevailing prayer by thousands of believers and Christian leaders who love Christ today? I disagree with what that author has said. 
There are thousands of believers and Christian leaders who say they love the Lord, but who live in the luxury of this world. Who do not spend their time in fasting and prayer, but rather in being lauded by one another. We don't have those thousands of people in America who truly have given themselves over to Jesus. Instead, we have many, many, many. And for many years, I was one of them who are called Christian, who are pastors, who are lay people. But their lifestyle is that of worldliness. One of the difficulties I have day by day is choosing the music that I will play at the beginning of the broadcast. And I play music there because I need to give time for the YouTube people to connect. It takes a few minutes, pardon me, for, for everyone to connect. And so I play the music. Sometimes, and I'm still thinking about it, not playing any music, but simply reading a chapter of Scripture. Why? Well, because as I look at the people who sing the songs. It is obvious to me as I look at their dress, to look at their countenance, as I look at the pride. I can't use them. They're performers. They're ungodly. Some of the women who sing and sing so beautifully are dressed like prostitutes, seeing how naked they can become. Well, the day will come in America when we'll be naked. Slaves may be marched to Russia or China. We are entering a time of of great tribulation. The greatest the world has ever seen. But it is time for some of us who believe in Jesus Christ to cast off every distraction of the devil. It's time for Christian men and women to cast off every distraction of the devil and of the world and of their own flesh and enter deeply into fasting and prayer for the work of God. God is not going to move in revival in response to petite little sentimental prayers. He's just not going to do it. 
We need to prepare the way of the Lord through prayer like Savernolia did. We need to feed on God's word. We need to memorize scriptures. We need to spend nights and hours in prayer as Savernolia did. Savernolia feared neither men nor demons. He exposed sin wherever he found it. He was a pioneer of the Protestant Reformation, though he was a loyal Roman Catholic at that time. The Pope excommunicated him. Savernolia replied from his pulpit that we must obey God rather than man. Oh, that some in America would have had the courage to say, no, we will not shut our churches down. I praise God for those honorable men who said, we will not shut our churches down. Put us in prison if you must. We will not shut our churches down. He said the Pope was a fallible person like every other sinner and could make mistakes and sin just as any other person could. Savernolia pointed out the current church leader, Pope Alexander, that he had illegally purchased his office with money and was not even a believer in Jesus. Martin Luther, as he grew up, was greatly influenced by the life and ministry and the death of Savernolia. He is one of the greatest heroes in the history of the church and in the history of revival. That's the story of one monk from a book entitled Revival Revival Fire by Wesley Duval. There is the assumption that we're all okay and that we can pursue with great energy what to pursue. And then in our spare time, read a little devotional book or read a little scripture, have a little prayer. God loves us. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. No recognition of the depths of evil in our own hearts and the depth of evil in our culture, in our president, in our Supreme Court, in our legislative branch in our local governments and school boards that are teaching such wicked, ungodly things. The teachers' union, utterly evil. Who's going to stand up finally and speak boldly and say no? We are going to listen to Jesus. He is our king and our master, and we will not shut down for you. And we will not, we will not serve the devil. And we won't serve our culture. We will serve King Jesus. Now, what will that mean? I was asked this week, 
Pastor, how do you get to Jesus to find out an answer on a topic that is of vital importance to us? Like, what job should I take? Who should I marry? What should I do here and there? God is not a rabbit foot that you rub to get an answer. He's not tarot cards. He's not a Ouija board. God is not a Santa Claus. In America, we've replaced Jesus with Santa Claus and the magic of Christmas. And now as we're past Christmas, the the whole spirit of Christmas has been lifted from us and we can finally begin to see again. I'm utterly ashamed of what we do with ourselves and our families at Christmas time and also at Easter. Easter has become a time of great feasting. Time for parties. A time for lewd parties. Ungodly parties. And churches are all caught up in their in their rituals. And these rituals are so important. Ash Wednesday. Two men who are I've become acquainted with, said to me last night, Pastor, you don't have any ash on your forehead. Today is Ash Wednesday. Oh, really? What do I want ash on my forehead for? Such utter foolishness. Oh, this is a time of of renewal and renewal. These rituals are utterly useless for holiness. These are church rituals that do not bring godliness. If you want to put ashes on your forehead, you're welcome to, please. I'm not telling you not to put ash on your forehead, but please let it be on your heart much more than on your forehead. I'm just, please, I'm utterly disgusted today with, and I'm heartbroken, and I'm I'm desperately concerned for America and for you, for the church. We're so far from God. We're so far, we're lazy, we're laid back. We like to play our little worship music and sing our little songs. Get emotional, have a tear, and then go back and live however we want to live, spend hours watching our televisions, spend hours doing our hobbies, spend hours socializing with this group and that group, that person and this person. Go to work and earn money and fight and barter and bicker. We're in such trouble. I want to read for you. Now, please don't send me any messages about what I'm going to say to you now. 
There are such self-righteous people who think they know all about these, these seals in Revelation 6. I don't know much about them, and I've studied them all my life. And I've listened to the foolish people talk as though they have great insight and understanding. I haven't met any of you yet that really have understanding. Maybe you do, and if you do, God bless you. But I doubt if you do either. But one thing I do is I look at these and I say, what can I identify that that is happening right now that looks like that? I take scripture at face value. I take it for what it says. The seals are opened by the Lamb of God. They are the God-directed steps toward the final conclusion of the coming of Jesus in glory. In the first seal, there was a white horse. A rider held a bow. He was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. I think it could easily be the League of Nations and the United Nations. They supposedly wear the white hat. The second seal, another horse comes out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. In other words, a world war. And to make men slay each other. And to him was given a large sword, a very large sword. Well, what large sword has been given to men to slay each other? The atomic bomb. First and Second World Wars. Now, this is my understanding. I'm not saying I'm right. So don't write to me and say, you're wrong, Pastor. I'm not pretending to be right. I'm simply telling you what I understand, what the Spirit of God speaks to my heart. Another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth. That's what a world war is. The third seal, a black horse came. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. In other words, a total financial reset. Great inflation. I see that inflation now happening. I see that gas may easily go to 150 to $200 a barrel, which will shove gas prices up 7 to $10 a gallon. A man will work a full day just for enough wheat to take care of himself and his family. Or three quarts of barley because it has less nutrition. But don't damage the oil and the wine. That is, don't, don't touch the oligarchs. Don't touch the 
the one percenters, the elite, the Bill Gates. The Lamb opened the fourth seal, and I believe this is where we are now moving toward as we are seeing come to pass everything in that third seal. The fourth seal come, I looked, and before me was a pale horse. A rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him, and they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Well, what what are we talking about here? Currently, a fourth of the population of America would be about 90 million people dying. Some have been saying we are going to see a great die-off in America. The scripture tells us one-fourth will die. Of the world population, 4.5 or 4.5 billion people will die in this great die-off. And it will be done by the sword, by bullets, by bombs, by famine, and by pestilence or plagues, and by the wild beasts of the earth. I think that's where we're going. The fifth seal talks about the great number of people who have been martyred for the faith of Jesus, as Savernolia was. And in fact, in many parts of the world, Christians are dying. If we look at the war that is currently going on between Russia and the Ukraine, the Ukraine is said to be largely a Christian nation. Never mind that Nazis are very strong in the Ukraine. Anti-Semitism is rampant. Many years ago, they murdered thousands of Jewish people, men, women, and children, just shot them down in cold blood. We are seeing Christians die in Africa, Nigeria. We are seeing Christians die in Saudi Arabia and China, Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, Iran. In many places, Christians are already dying, but we haven't seen that in America, but we're going to. as Christians will be hunted down and slaughtered. This fifth seal tells us that it's coming, and God's going to let it come. Will I live through this? Only by the grace of Jesus. The sixth seal is opened, The sky recedes like a scroll. 
the kings of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains, and they called on the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? We're very, very close, brothers and sisters, to the coming of Jesus. And we need a revival. And we need to get in the prayer closet. And we need to get serious with Jesus. The day for foolishness is past. We have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. We have an obligation, according to Romans, the eighth chapter. We have an obligation to, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body and to be led by the Spirit of God. It means if you want the kingdom of God to advance, then step into the prayer closet and get serious with God and obey what he tells you to do and cut off the wickedness and the entertainment. I tell you, You can hear the voice crying in the desert, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Savonolia did, and he died. I wondered how many of you would run when I began talking like this. All I can say is, look, I'm going to preach Jesus. I'm not here to be popular. I'm not after a following. I'm after revival. I'm after Jesus. I'd love to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank you, Gloria. Thank each one of you who has given online. Your standing with me gives me great encouragement. I know the day is coming soon when the Lord will order the opening of a public place of revival in Washington, D.C., and I'm standing by faith for that. I know it's going to take a lot of resources to move forward, but I know the Lord will move in your hearts to give that. Last month's radio bill is covered by God's grace and by your sacrifice. Thank you. Some of you went way above and beyond. Please go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. And there you'll find this video from today, and you'll find many other podcasts, information that will be helpful in this Seeking after the Holy Spirit. I bless you today in the name of Jesus Christ. And I plead with you to get serious with him and to lay aside the world, the flesh, and the devil and go after Jesus. We need men and women who will stand though the heavens fall. Not sentimental, 
cultural Christians, real men and women of the word and of the prayer closet of fasting. God bless you. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you will stand. Tomorrow will be a day of prayer. Come and pray. I'll talk to you soon.